Hello. Welcome. Hey. <laughs> Good to uh, talk to you guys again. I was about to say see you guys again. Good to see we you. We don't see you. <laughs> we just stare at the mic. Yeah, pretty much. And each <laughs> other while we're talking. and <laughs> So it's a little less awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Kelsey. I'm Bryn. And this is Crime Cults and Coffee. In case you didn't know. You should know. You picked it. <laughs> or maybe you're a newbie and you're deciding to start at the end instead of the beginning. And Which would be me. That would be the smart choice because we weren't so graceful in the beginning. <laughs> Definitely not as graceful. We fumbled a shit ton. Yeah, and we had a lot of filler words that I think we've done a little better with, I yeah. hope anyway. I literally start podcasts though from the end to the beginning. You do? Yeah. See, I usually start from the beginning. No. I mean, unless it's like obviously chronological and like you have to follow them, but I usually start at the end if it's like, like especially for like my favorite murder. I started way at the end. Oh my god, that's a horrible choice. I was going to say, for my favorite murder, I, well, I started listening when, it when was they released new. their second episode. Yeah, I started listening when it was, like, episode 70. Yeah, but then you're not on the inside with their inside jokes and stuff. When they're saying yeah. shit, you're like, why are they saying shit like that? Or what are they even talking about? I just laughed When they bring up their anyway. inside jokes. I just laughed anyway. <laughs> oh, I would have total FOMO, like, I want to be involved in this joke. <laughs> I want to be in the know. Nah. But yeah. So there's our little plug for MFM. Yes. We love My Favorite Murder. We we have not been paid for that. We just no. love them. We, we love, love them. Karen We've and Georgia. Them. Yeah. I would give so much to meet Karen and Georgia. Right? I love them. Anyway, so today we wanted to start out, we were like talking beforehand about what do we have to tell the listeners this week? Like, what do we have to share? Mm-hmm. And both of us were like, nothing mm-hmm. really nothing. Actually, I just thought of something. I got my second COVID shot today. Well, that's... Claps so that for was Insert claps. <laughs> that was exciting. I hope I don't feel like shit tomorrow, but if I do, it's all part of the process. Yeah. And I'll be fine in 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. But basically, the only thing we came up with that we have to talk about are the weird ass dreams we've been having. Yeah, is that a thing? Maybe we should ask somebody that reads into it. I know, there's been at least two or three other people that I've talked to that have been like, same, my dreams have been fucking crazy the last couple weeks. So, let us know if your dreams have been insane, more insane than usual. Or if you know why everybody's dreams have been fucked up. Yeah. I'd like to know. Tell us, what's been going on? So, most of the time I remember my dreams in, like, super detail. It hasn't been happening much this week, but mine, last night, woke me up. I was sitting up in my bed talking to, like, a patient, because I, like, I'm a healthcare provider, And basically, it was just me being in a dream, like I was in a patient's room talking to a patient, and it woke me up. Literally going over COVID guidelines. (laughs) You do that shit in your sleep. I literally literally do. (laughs) And I I woke myself up, and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Oh my god. I know. And I usually do that when I get anxious, but I'm I'm not too anxious. So, Maybe know. subconsciously you were about getting your second shot today or something? I don't know. Or you were just, like, thinking COVID? I think it was because I, I mean, I work 12-hour shifts now, and I got off of my shift yesterday, and I went right to bed. Maybe that was why. I was just, like, your, continuing your it Your day just sleep. blended. <laughs> it blended. Right into my sleep. <laughs> yeah. And I woke like, myself wait. up. I'm like, what am I doing right now? You're like, I'm still at work. <laughs> <laughs> With my eyes closed. That was it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. What have yours been about? Mine have been insane for probably the past three weeks, maybe more, where in my dream, it's like I'm living my life. 
Like, really? everything, I don't know how to explain it other than that, everything that's happening in real life uh-huh. continues on into my dreams, and I, if, like, let's say I have a problem with something in real life. You dream In my dream, problem. I dream about the problem and then a solution for it. That's really weird. Like, I don't know. Is it, <sighs> is it like, predictions or, like... I don't know. Like, premonitions? Like premonitions? I don't know. I mean, I just, it's literally, like, I'm still living my wake state in my dream state. Really? It's so odd. That's really weird. Yeah. Somebody that knows about dreams fucking tell us what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. And last night, I I said to Kelsey before, I basically barely slept the entire night because I kept waking up feeling like I needed to be awake. That's so weird. Like, you needed to do something. Or, like, my alarm was going to go off, but it was, like, 1.30 in the morning, so my alarm definitely wasn't going to go off. And it kept happening where I just kept waking up thinking I needed to be awake, and then I'm like, what the hell? I need to go back to sleep. Like, that's really weird. I'm losing sleep. Yeah. I wonder why. Let us know. (gasps) Please. We're so intrigued. We don't know. (laughs) And we're not getting sleep. Yeah. I'm really tired today, but this coffee is going to pick me up. Yeah. So let's get to the coffee. Yeah. The good stuff. I'm so excited. So Raven's Brew Coffee is the coffee brand that we are going to be talking about today and reviewing. They're so freaking nice. And cool. And cool. (laughs) They sent us three bags and... They said that these bags are, like, the most popular that they sell, but honestly, they're, like, perfectly tailored to our podcast with, like, the art on them and everything I know. It's so cute. I feel like this is the third time or fourth time we've said this, where obviously everyone that's been sending us stuff, it gets more and more amazing and whatever, Mm -hmm. but the graphics... So freaking cool. ...match once again to our whole vibe. So freaking cool. Yeah, so I'm going to read a little bit about their company. Yeah. Raven's Brew Coffee is a small family-owned company dedicated to sourcing the world's best coffee. Each batch of coffee is air-roasted, resulting in distinct and superior flavor development, a notably clean taste, and an intense, sweet, perfumey fragrance. So they say, we started roasting coffee in Ketchikan, Alaska in a garage in 1992 and now have roasteries in Alaska and Washington. Our green coffee buying strategy focuses mainly on heirloom varieties growing in shade forest conditions and without the use of agrochemicals. Ooh. Which, again, very eco-friendly and green. Amazing. We strive to offer only coffees that will be an enlightening experience for the customer and fair and just for the small producers of our unique coffees. We roast certified organic as well as conventional specialty coffees. I love that it started in a gar- All great things start in a garage. For real. Or, like, a hen-out room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're using GarageBand to record this. Wow. Weird. <laughs> so yeah. Weird. I love that it started so small, and now it's gotten so big. That's awesome. And I love that they're in Alaska. That's so I fun. Know. That's really cool. Add that to our tour. That's why I said they were cool. Did you catch <laughs> oh, on? <laughs> I didn't get it. Very punny. Very punny. Thank you. So, this is a little bit more about um, their company. This says, The Art of Blending. Raven's Brew proprietary blends are unique in the coffee world, as well as quite distinct from one another. We design these coffees for different occasions, different time of day, even different levels of caffeine content. They are all designed, above all, to pander to the personality of the the palate. Mm. Explore them all. My palate likes to be pandered. I know, right? (laughs) This is another... 
<laughs> this is another little part um, of information. It says, the art. Our main label art was created by the world-famous Alaskan artist Ray Troll. Ray's designs adorn our coffee packaging, as well as t-shirts, mugs, posters, and postcards. And their art is fucking cool. Ray, you are sick with your artwork. I am obsessed with the the artwork. It's all over, like I said, their merchandise. They have so much stuff on their website that you could buy. They're, I mean, just the bags themselves, Mm -hmm. like... Sorry, I can't talk. Themselves mm-hmm. are awesome. And yeah, like Kelsey said, you can get these graphics on t-shirts. They have hats. They have mugs. They have travel mugs. They yeah. have stickers. They have posters. Magnets. So many so many Even. So many Aprons. with me? Even aprons. Yeah. They do like cute little coffee sets too where they have the same art on like a t-shirt and a bag of coffee and like I think a sticker's thrown in there. Um... It's really cute. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Check out their website. So, we'll let you know their website. It's ravensbrewcoffee.com, and their Facebook is ravensbrewcoffee, and their Instagram is at ravensbrewcoffee. Love you, ravensbrew. Yeah. You so, want to talk about our coffees yeah, today? Yeah. Kelsey, you start. So, <laughs> I literally opened up the package and started laughing so hard when I read this, but I love it. Oh, we should say we're doing two coffees again. Surprise! Oh, yeah. Surprise! Because <laughs> they sent us three bags. So, yeah. you'll be hearing about them again, but these are two of the ones they sent. This one that I'm talking about first is called the Three Peckered Billy Goat. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The, the design is so cute on the front, too. So, I'll read a little bit about their description of this coffee. It says it's a velvety mouthfeel. Uncanny high notes of fruity sweetness on top of dry, chocolatey-like flavor base. Long, sweet finish and a dark roast. So what did you think about the taste? Okay. I have to get another sip in. Okay. I'm gonna talk while she's sipping. (laughs) Actually, I'm singing. (laughs) I love how we think we can sing. I know. I Um, don't think I can. I know I can. I know. Me me too. I just enjoy it too. Me too. Um, So I like this one the best out of both. Um, I can definitely taste the chocolatey flavor the mm. most in this one, um, and the velvety texture that they talked about too. I don't know. I, I've noticed over the past few months of us reviewing coffee that dark roast are not my favorite, but out of all the ones that I've tried that are dark roast, this is my favorite dark roast. Gotcha. I do like this one a lot. Yeah. When I took a sip of yours, I also had like got that velvety feel mm-hmm. to it yeah. and it's definitely creamier than the one that I'm drinking. Right. Do you want to talk so, about yours? So yeah, I'm drinking the Double Dead. And it has a cool skeleton on it. Yeah, with all fun like swirls and electric electric bolts. lightning bolts and <laughs> a little raven on the side. It's so cute and yeah. it's extra caffeine. So if we get super jittery during this, <laughs> I apologize. You know why. I apologize. Maybe You're that's warned. why I'm singing already. So, the Raven's Brew Coffee Double Dead is not for the faint of heart. This is what it says. And there's actually a little warning label on the side of the I bag. love that. I don't know if it's a joke or not, but we'll take it. Well, I'll take it. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, it says, this double high-speed blend has notes of bittersweet chocolate, toasted nuts, and an extra charge delivered in a rich, heavy body with a sweet bite. Dark roast. So, as Kelsey just mentioned, we realized... We don't like dark roast as much as we thought we did. Yeah. I, it's, I, it's more I don't, of a progressive yeah, thing that we're really. I don't mind dark roast depending on the coffee, but I definitely am more, I think, of a medium roast kind of girl. 
I'm a definitely medium roast, yeah. Yeah, but I do like this dark roast. Um, to me, I tasted the nuttiness to it mm-hmm. and the bittersweet chocolate. I think that's why I'm more of a fan of this coffee as opposed to the one you're drinking just because yeah. I'm a huge dark chocolate fan mm-hmm. and to me this coffee is has that bittersweet dark chocolatey feel to it. Do you taste the extra zing or caffeine or whatever? Okay. That- <laughs> that's a good thing to point out. <laughs> okay. I feel like... We mentioned this You before. might be a little trickster, Double Dead. I think so. I feel like this might be like jungle juice <laughs> where it tricks you into thinking it's normal and you can drink it and you can you'll be have fine. cups and cups and cups and you'll be fine. There's not much to it. And then all of a sudden... It hits you. It hits you. And you're toast by then. You're bouncing off the walls. Yeah. So if I start twitching, <laughs> give me a little tappy tap. <laughs> I'm a little nervous because I, it's not like past coffees that have been, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, it's not like past coffees where it tastes like there's shots of espresso in it. Right, that's what I was going to say. It's not, it's definitely not the strongest coffee I've had, but that doesn't equate to caffeine level. Right, So I feel like it might hit you. It's gonna, that beat's gonna hit. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's a fair judgment that it might be like j- the jungle juice trick. Yeah. So if we get really jittery and talkative and we're talking a mile a minute, sorry, it's the coffee. It's the double dead. <laughs> it's Thank the you, Raven's de- Brew. I do like it though. So what Howard, would you rate? Yeah. So for mine, which again was the three peckered billy goat. I would rate this probably a seven. Okay. I'd probably give this one a seven. And what about the double dad? That one, I'd probably, I'd be around probably a six, 6.5. Okay. Yeah. See, I think I would flip-flop those, and mm-hmm. I'd give the one I was drinking, the double dad, a seven, mm-hmm. and I would give the free peckered billy goat six, six point five. And see, that's why everybody has a different palate. Everybody has different tastes. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you're going to have a different, like, you know, feeling and taste to all of these different coffees. So if you don't like one that we loved, sorry. (laughs) Not sorry. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) No, we really uh, would kind of feel bad that you spent your money on it. No, I wouldn't Based on our review. It would probably kill me. (laughs) at the same time, it would slowly eat Kelsey alive. alive. But at the same time, that's our opinion. So we really shouldn't be sorry for it, you know? You're right. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, let's get started. All right. Thank you, Raven's Brew. You're amazing. We love you, and we can't wait to review your next coffee. And sorry it took us a month to get to your coffee. We've been so backed up, which is why we're doing two. (laughs) (laughs) So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. So today's episode was listener-suggested, which we're so excited about. Yes. And it was actually suggested by Jen, who was a co-worker, well, closely working co-worker of mine when I was a teacher. She was a main para in my room Mm -hmm. with me for two years, so we grew really, really close and Mm -hmm. were together all day, every day. And she listens to our podcast and loves loves, loves Natalie Wood. So we are covering the case of Natalie Wood today. Yes. Thank you so much, Jen, for sending this in. 
We are so excited that we got to research this case. I didn't know anything about this case at all. Oh, really? I mean, okay, maybe bits and pieces I've heard, Mm -hmm. but... Uh, not to the extent yeah. that I went that I went into research. Yeah. And I'm, like, mind blown. Yeah, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And especially when it gets into her career and all that, we're going to go over all of that. Right. But thank you again, Jen, for not only taking the time to suggest this case, but listening, us, listening to us and supporting us. Yes. She posts pictures of her mug all the time. She comments on her <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. We love you. So, as always, I'm going to be starting off with a background of Natalie Wood. This is going to be a little in-depth, but she had a badass background, so Mm -hmm. we're going to be talking a lot about her. So, she was born as Natalia Nikolaevna Zakharenko. She was also called Natasha at times. Um, Basically, it's a Russian diminutive, which means, which it was like an endearing nickname or a less formal name of uh, Natalia, which was her her born name. Mm Mm-hmm. Another name she went by was also Natasha Gurdon, and this was because at one time her family actually changed their surname. Okay. She was born July 20th, 1938 in San Francisco, California. Her parents were Russian immigrants. Her father was Nikolai Stepanovich Zakarenko. He was born in Vladivostok. He was born into a poor family of Stepan Zakharendo, and he was a chocolate factory worker who joined the anti-Bolshevik civilian forces during the Russian Civilian War. Natalie's grandfather, Stepan, Stepan, was killed in 1918 in a street fight in Vladivostok between red and white Russian soldiers. Believe us, we are telling you this for a purpose. Yes, (laughs) it means something. Yeah. His wife and three sons, which included Natalie's father, Nikolai, fled to relatives in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Later, They then later moved to San Francisco, where Nikolai worked as a day laborer and a carpenter. Yeah, so basically his death made the move, and then that's how they eventually and ended up. And started where they are yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's so weird, too, that our last case was in... Was in Russia. I know. And now this one's connected to Russia. I thought the same thing because I was like, it's so crazy because I'm looking at the names. And I'm like, wait. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I saw her original last name, I was like, that is Russian. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Uh, that's his father. So, now Bryn's going to talk uh, a little bit about her his uh, her mother. So, her mother was Maria Stepano- Stepanovna Zakarenko and her maiden name was Zudalova. And she was born in Barnwall, southern Siberia, which is also in Russia. Yep. Her father, Maria's father, was also Stepan, which is interesting that they both had... Found that Yeah, like that their fathers were both Stepan, so technically Natalie had two grandfathers named Stepan. Right. Right? It's really weird. Maybe that's a common name there. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, true. Maybe it's not that strange. (laughs) (laughs) So, Maria's father owned uh, soap and candle factories and an estate outside the city. And at the start of the Civil War, they actually left Russia and went to the Chinese city of Harbin to live. Hmm. So, in 1925, Maria, which is, again, Natalie's mom, married Alexander Tatilov in China, and they had a daughter, Olga, in 1928. They then divorced in 1936, and Maria dreamed 
of becoming an actress or a ballet dancer when she was younger. That was, like, a hardcore dream of hers, which also is going to play into Natalie. In her story, yeah. Yeah. So, Nikolai and Maria eventually met, and they began a family together. And Natalie and her other siblings were actually raised Russian Orthodox, which Mm -hmm. we mentioned in the last episode as well. So strange. Yeah. She spoke English and Russian, but had an American accent when she spoke Russian. Right, because she was born in California. Right. And Natalie's mother would take her to the cinema frequently, so she was basically raised around movies. Like, everything was movie-based. Right. Yeah. And I have a quote from biographer Warren Harris. Quote, Natalie's only professional training was watching Hollywood child stars from her mother's lap. Aw. Which is really cute. That's a cute thing. Yeah. A bonding thing her and her mom did. Yeah. And then I also have a quote from Natalie herself years later. Mm -hmm. She said, quote, My mother used to tell me that the cameraman who pointed his lens out at the audience at the end of the Paramount newsreel, Paramount, I'm sorry, newsreel, was taking my picture. I'd pose and smile like he was going to make me famous or something. I believed everything my mother told me. Aww. Yeah. Which can be a good thing or a bad thing. Right. (laughs) You know? Right. But that's, like, really adorable that she would just, like, pose for the camera. (laughs) Her mom was probably like, ha. Yeah. So, shortly after Natalie was born, her family moved to Santa Rosa, California, and she was actually noticed by members of a crew during a film shoot in downtown Santa Rosa. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So then Maria, who again is um, Natalie's mom, then moved the family to Los Angeles to pursue an acting career for Natalie. So she saw something in her and she's like, we gotta move. She enrolled her in a ballet class um, as a small child. Maria was said to be a, quote, fantasist that an abusive taskmaker who drove Natalie to become the breadwinner of the family. That was according to documentaries, articles, biographies. So basically they said that she pushed Natalie really hard at a really young age to be famous. She was a fucking stage mom. Yeah, and I think that's part of her dreams coming out and trying to be pushed through Natalie as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because she couldn't do them, she was going to have her, she was going to live through her daughter. Right. So at some point after the mo- the they moved, Natalie's younger sister Svetlana was born, and she also became an actress and is known commonly as Lana Wood. Hmm. So now we're going to get into her acting career. She began at age four, which is so, so young. young. She acted her entire life. Yeah. Literally. Literally. She got her first film role, a bit part in Happy Land, which was in 1943, she won over director Irving Pitchell after her mother got them an introduction. She And she basically said, make Mr. Pitchell love you. And that was a quote from her. She's like, you need to make him love you because yeah. this is your break. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how she got that introduction. I know. I wonder what, you know. If her mom was as much of a, like, focused stage mom type, I, I bet you she just really just knew somebody and, like, forced it on mm-hmm. them. It was like, you need to it's meet my daughter. all about knowing somebody. Right. Yeah. So then Natalie was actually given given a co-starring role at age eight in Miracle on 34th Street, Aww. which I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> she was only eight. Yeah, and Miracle on 34th Street was in 1947. She played a girl who believes in Santa Claus. Aww. And she was considered a top child star in Hollywood after this film. 
Macy's actually invited her to appear in the store's annual Thanksgiving Day Parade. Aww. Yeah. That's so cute. After Natalie started acting, David Lewis and William Goetz, which were studio executives at RKO Radio Pictures, changed her name to Natalie Wood in reference to director Sam Wood. So, for people who aren't knowledgeable about the business, a lot of actors or actresses change their names to have a stage name. Yeah. So, Natalie Wood became her stage name, and that's pretty much what we're going to refer to her as the entire rest of the story. We're not going to go by her Russian name. Yeah. So the next couple of years after Miracle on 34th Street, Natalie played the daughter in multiple family films, and I'm going to name a few of them. <laughs> Driftwood, which was in 1947, Scudda Who, Scudda Hay, which was in 1948, Chicken Every Sunday, 1949, The Green Promise, 1949, Father Was a Fullback, 1949, No Sad Songs for Me, 1950, Our Very Own, 1950, Never a Dull Moment, 1950, The Jackpot, 1950, Dear Brat, 1951, The, B- the Blue Veil, 1951, The Rose Bowl, <laughs> <laughs> The Rose Bowl Story, 1952, Just For You, 1952, The Star, 1952. So yeah, that's just the name of busy as yeah, hell. she kept busy. If you notice all those dates, there's multiple in, in a year. A sa- like the same four year. in a year. Yeah. That's crazy. So she actually appeared in over 20 films as a child. Damn. Mm-hmm. And she was also on TV in episodes of Craft Theater and Chevron Theater. And I looked those up and they're both like anthology series. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she received her primary education on studio lots. So she would... I didn't put it on here, but I don't know if the laws are the same now, but basically back then, children on set were required at least three hours of schooling mm-hmm. on set, dependent mm-hmm. on their, like, ske- like their uh, film schedule mm-hmm. because of child labor laws and stuff. Yeah. So she was she did most of her education on studio lots clearly she was a busy girl yeah clearly. and she was a straight a student and a quote from natalie quote i always felt guilty when i knew the crew was sitting around waiting for me to finish my three hours as soon as the teacher let us go i ran to the set as fast as i could oh she so loved she it she was like just looking forward to she it she loved it yeah and she was a straight a student that's so cute yeah and i also read that was it yeah arithmetic i think think or algebra something like that she was really really smart in Mm -hmm. like hot like higher than most children really yeah so she she was a smart little girl wow and even after natalie signed with agents her mother stayed involved in her career she coached and micromanaged aspects of it so her mom was very hardcore stage mom as we mentioned yes and by nine years old she had been named the quote most exciting juvenile most motion picture star of the year by Parents Magazine. Wow. Yeah, so she was taking off. Oh, I didn't put this in here either. I don't know if it's 100% a fact. I read it in an article, but you know how people can exaggerate. I did hear, though, that just an example of how hardcore her mom was with her. Basically, there was a scene in a movie or a play that she was rehearsing for, and her mother didn't know if she was going to be able to cry on cue. Mm-hmm. So... Don't tell me she, like, pinched her or something. No, it's even worse. It's really graphic and really sad, and I I got really upset about it. But basically, she took a... Her mom took a butterfly, pulled its wings off, 
and made Natalie watch. And she started crying. And then she grabbed her by the hand and said, she's ready. Oh, my God. I know. That's fucking awful. I hope that's not true because I was, like, really upset about that. That's really fucking awful. Yeah. So, back to her story. As Natalie became a teen, her career continued to grow. So, she was just ramping up. Mm -hmm. 1953 to 1954 TV season, Wood played Anne Morrison, the teenage daughter and the pride of the family. We all, she was also seen in episodes of The Pepsi Cola Playhouse, Public Defender, Mayor of the Town, Forest Day Playhouse, The Ford Television Theater, General Electric Theater, um, and this was described, uh, that she described the episode um, that she did in this was quote-unquote carnival, and this was described as one of the best things that she's ever done. So she, like, loved that episode. Yeah, yeah. Aww. She appeared in a TV version of Heidi. She had roles in the feature films of The Silver Chalice and One Desire, which was in 1955. And also in 1955, at age 16, she co-starred with James Dean. Oh. <laughs> I read that I was like, damn, she's lucky. <laughs> I know. And Sal Mineo, um, in Rebel Without a Cause. And this good was like movie. a turning point for her, it's I read. Such a fucking good movie. Yeah. She was nominated for Academy Award... Um, for the Best Supporting Actress for this film. Hmm. It was said that it was the first script that she read that she actually wanted to do instead of just being told by her parents to do it. Mm. Yeah. Her parents actually didn't even want her to do this role. Yeah. So she was like, I'm doing it. She's like, I'm fucking 16 and I'm doing what I want. Yeah. Rebel without a cause. Right. And this film was like on the sexier side for her. So she was kind of like actually a rebel. Like She was Mm -hmm. rebelling against her parents at Mm -hmm. this point. She said, quote, until then, I did what I was told, end quote. Love it. Love that that was her first movie and her being rebelling. I know. And James Dean was in it. And James Dean was in it. (laughs) Most importantly. Most importantly, James Dean was in it. Yeah. She continued to guest star in TV shows over the years. She had a small role in the movie The Searchers in 1956 um, and was a lead in A Cry in the Night in 1956 as well. Natalie had also graduated from Van Nuys High School in 1956. Um, She signed with Warner Brothers and kept busy as many girlfriend roles, but she didn't really like doing these. She found them pretty unsatisfying. I would imagine because if you're playing just a girlfriend, like... Like, what do you do? Just chew gum and, like, stand there? Yeah, especially back then. Right. The casting, like, the cast, the type of girlfriend you would play in the 50s. Like, yeah. you're just expected to, like, twirl your hair and stand next to your boyfriend pretty, pretty much. Pretty much. Chew gum. Yeah. Yeah, so she's like, this is not what I wanted. Yeah. Um, she was given the lead in Marjorie Morningstar in 1958, and this is a quote, quote, played the role of a young Jewish girl in New, in New York City who has to deal with the social and religious expectations of her family as she tries to forge her own path and separate identity. And that was a quote from Wikipedia. But that was basically what that um, lead was, that lead role was about. I mean, I bet she kind of found that role relatable, though, because Mm -hmm. she was also trying in real life to forge her own path and own identity and... Trying to get away from her parents. Yeah, do, like, what she wanted. Right. She had a wide range of acting styles. As you can imagine, she's literally been acting in different roles since she was four years old. Mm Mm-hmm. 
After being the lead along with Frank Sinatra. I'm sorry, even more than James Dean. My heart. I love Frank Sinatra. <laughs> that was in the movie Kings Go Forth, which was in 1958. I don't know why I'm so motivated to sing Fly Me to the Moon. Oh my God, where's Casey? We need to bring him up here. <laughs> no, My brother and me both love Frank Sinatra and my brother, like is a crooner, basically. He was born he, in the wrong era. He is. He loves Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Should we pause and go get him? Casey! <laughs> he wouldn't sing. No. <laughs> and he has a better voice than I do, so whatever. So does Carson. Carson has a good voice. Yeah. Especially with that one song he sings. He's gonna kill me for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Back Natalie um, actually refused roles and was put on a suspension by Warner Brothers for a year until February of 1959. Wait, did you mention the movie with Frank Sinatra? Yep. Okay. Kings Go Forth. See, I was just thinking of she him. She was just I so drawn. I didn't even hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's okay. As I answer for them. <laughs> Um, after returning from that suspension, she starred in a few more movies, one of which was actually a box office flop, um, and this was kind of her transition period where her career started declining. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. I feel like, too, the age she's in, that's a transition period in itself with acting because she's... She can't be she's a, a teenager. She yeah. yeah. She was a, a acting in kid roles, quote-unquote yeah. kid roles, and now she has to move up into adult roles. But yeah. how do you do that when you're looked at as a, a kid? kid? Yeah. yeah. And she was still probably playing kid films as she, like, dressed up as a kid. and Yeah. You know? Yeah. So biographer Suzanne Finstad wrote that a turning point in Wood's life as an actress took place when she saw the film A Streetcar Named Desire in 1951. Well, this was a 1951 movie. I don't know if she actually saw it that year. Mm-hmm. Quote, she was transformed in awe of director Ilya Kazan and of Vivian Lee's performance, who became a role model for Natalie. So, Natalie was then cast as the lead in an Ilya Kazan film, which was probably just huge, mind-blowing for her. Huge. Yep, the film was Splendor in the Grass in 1961. And this is a quote also, again, from Suzanne Finstad, which was the biographer. Mm-hmm. Quote, working with Kazan brought her to the greatest emotional heights of her career. The experience was exhilarating, but wrenching for Natalie, who faced her demons on Splendor. And this role actually turned her career back around. Right, from that box office flop that she had earlier. Yeah. And for this role, she received nominations for the Academy Award, Golden Globe Award, and BAFTA Award <clears throat> for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Aww. Which is so exciting. She must have just been mind-blown that not only did she get those, but under the director that she admired so much. Right. You know? That's so cute. I love that. Yeah. So, in one of her most well-known roles, Natalie played Maria in West Side Story Woo-hoo! in 1961. And this was obviously a box office success. I actually heard in a documentary today something like, um, I didn't write it down, she basically agreed to her salary pay for Mm -hmm. this film because she didn't think it was going to be that big of a success. She's like, I want my salary pay, nothing less. And they wanted to give her a percentage. So they agreed on the salary pay (gasps) and it made million like so much money yeah and she got basically like the shit oh, end because shit. i know how how terrible that's, is that? that's and then so- she's like never again <laughs> i learned my lesson oh you live yeah. and you learn right 
So West Side Story was regarded as one of her best films. And actually a fun fact, she didn't sing in this. So I feel pretty. <laughs> oh, so pretty. Was not Natalie. Wow. I yeah. actually I didn't know that. Her singing voice her singing, I'm sorry, was voiced by Marnie Nixon. Hmm. However, she did sing when she starred in Gypsy in 1962. And this the movie Gypsy actually reflected a lot of her life as well, mm-hmm. which is odd that it's just another movie that's kind of... That she was just in. Yeah, that is portraying stuff she's going through in real life. Yeah, I feel like it kind of shaped, you know, her. Yeah. It's crazy. So in 1964, Natalie was 25 when she received her third Academy Award nomination. Damn. Third. For Love with the Proper Stranger which was a 1963 movie. Mm -hmm. And Natalie actually became the youngest person to receive three Oscar nominations, along with actress Teresa Wright. (laughs) My God. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Actress Teresa Wright. And this record was broken by Jennifer Lawrence in 2013 and Saoirse Ronan in 2017. And both got their third nominations at the age of 23. Wow. So literally... She's 1964 like yeah. until 2013, yeah. Natalie held that record. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And director Sidney Pollack said this about Natalie. Quote, when she was right for the part, there was no one better. She was a damn good actress, which literally gives me chills. I know. It seems so true, too. Like, if she was going to be casted, you knew it was going to be good. Mm-hmm. Natalie then starred in Inside Daisy Clover in 1965, and This Property is Condemned in 1966, both of which co-starred Robert Redford, (laughs) and she also received Golden Globe nominations for Best Actress for both films. Wow. And after the release of the films, Natalie suffered emotionally and looked for professional therapy, and this was actually contradicted in another article that I had read that said she had been in years of therapy prior. Yeah. So I don't know if she was looking for a more professional therapist. Maybe she Maybe was switching. Seeing, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, in 1966, she actually had attempted to kill herself by drug overdose, That's which so is sad. just so awful. Ugh, that breaks my heart. Yeah. And she decided to take a break from making movies as part of her recovery, which I think was the smart thing to do. Definitely a good idea. Mm-hmm. She had to pay Warner Brothers $175,000, which God knows what money that is now. Right. Right? Holy shit. To cancel her contract and fired her entire support team. So she fired her agents, her managers, her publicist, her accountant, her attorneys, and but so if she, on. But if she needed to do it, it just, it sucks that it was such a high price, like, it's such a high cost. But for her to for her be healthy and right. recover. Yeah, she did what she needed to do, which is good. She didn't really let that get in limelight way, right? get in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the mid-1960s, she was one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, along with Elizabeth Taylor and Audrey Hepburn. Wow. And even so, her acting was criticized at times. This could be seen in 1966. She was given the Harvard Lampoon Award for being the, quote, worst actress of last year, this year, and next, which is pretty fucking shitty. Why is that even an award? That's so fucked up. I know. I hate that. 
But I love this part. I, I love it. I lo- it makes me love her even more. <laughs> she was actually the first por- performer to attend their ceremony and accept the award in person. So she was She's just like, like Fuck you. okay, I'll take it. I'm going to accept my o- award. She was just so graceful. Everyone probably loved her for that, too. Yeah. She's like, you're giving me this award? I'll take it. Alrighty, then. I, I want to hear her speech. I know, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. I accept this award. <laughs> That's so funny. So, after that, in 1970, she became pregnant with her first child, Natasha Gregson, and went into semi-retirement because she only acted in, like, four films after um, after this point in, mm-hmm. in her life. She continued to work in TV and found more success in that during this period of time. So, she's like, I'm just going to take a break from the movies and I'll, I'll move to TV. Yeah. At the time of her death, Natalie was filming a $15 million film that was called Brainstorm, uh, which was released in 1983, co-starring Christopher Walken and directed by Douglas Trumbull. So, remember Brainstorm because this will, this is important to her story. Right. So, just remember she was filming this and Christopher was her co-star. Mm-hmm. So the ending of Brainstorm had to be completely rewritten and her character was written out of the last three scenes because obviously she wasn't there to film them. Mm -hmm. A stand-in and sound-alikes were used to replace her for some crucial shots. That's so sad. I know. The film was released posthumously um, on September 30th, 1983, and it was dedicated to Natalie in the closing credits. That... The last two things you just read about, like, stand-ins and... What does it remind you of? It reminds me of Heath Ledger. Oh. It reminds me of... (laughs) What were you going to say? Fast and Furious. What, Paul Walker? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or Walker. Walker. I'm sorry. Christopher Walken. Yeah, I know. Paul Walker. Yeah, no, it reminds me of Heath Ledger because he won an award posthumously. And he... Not for, um... The stand-ins, they didn't have to do for The Dark Knight. That was completely finished. But they had to do it for... There's another movie, I forget the name of it, that he was supposed to lead in. And they actually ended up changing the whole thing where they had seven different people play his role. Damn. Uh, I think Johnny Depp might have been one of them because he passed. Yeah. And they did it as, like, a tribute to him. Wow. Yeah. That's so sad. She was actually scheduled to make her stage debut on February 12th of 1982 in Anastasia. Anastasia! We just talked about that (laughs) at the Amundsen Theater. Um, So there was a lot going on when she died. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Oh my god, that's so strange. She was supposed to play Anastasia Romanov. I know, and we fucking just talked about that last episode. That's so odd. Really weird how they all connect. Yeah. Our, yeah, if you guys haven't noticed that common theme, yeah. our, epi- our, our epinodes, I can't talk, okay, this coffee is hitting me. Our epinodes. <laughs> epinodes is a scientific term, don't you know? <laughs> it's a disease. Yeah, but our episodes always interconnect with each other. They do. It's really weird. Yeah. Anyway, so, sorry, we're off task today. Back to the story. <laughs> So, we're going to be, I'm going to be talking a little bit about her relationships next, um, and this is also important because it leads into, um, her final days. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she dated actor Dennis Hopper, Hotel Dynasty heir Nikki Hilton, and singer Elvis Presley. 
Oh my god. Which is huge. She, There's a picture of them together and it's really cute. I'm sorry. She lived the freaking life. She was she surrounded really by James Dean, Frank Sinatra, and Elvis Presley. I know. She really did. <laughs> like. Huge names. What a lucky girl. <laughs> I some, love them. I, I love all of them. You're like, can I be her? <laughs> no. I, no. I, no. Up until the bad yeah. things. Yeah. December 28th, 1957, she married Robert Wagner in Scottsdale, Arizona. She was 18 at the time, and he was 26, so definitely there's an age gap, but Mm -hmm. I feel like it was a little bit more normal back then. Mm -hmm. Um, June 20th, 1961, the couple announced their separation in a joint press release. April 27th, 1962, they divorced, which was 10 months later. Mm. And I read that they were, like, the main, like, couple of the time. Like, the celebrity oh, couple. Oh, probably, yeah. They were the huge celebrity couple. I'm sure, like, all the tabloids and stuff were about them. Yeah. And, yeah. It, yeah, that's what I heard. So, Natalie then went on to date Warren Beatty. Beatty. Sorry, that was bad. Um, <laughs> Michael Caine and David Neven Jr. 1965, she had broken the engagement with the shoe manufacturer Ladislav Blatnik May 30th, 1969, she married British producer producer Richard Gregson, and they dated for almost three years. They then had a daughter together named Natasha in 1970, as we mentioned earlier. Um, August 4th, 1971, she filed for divorce from Gregson, and April 12th, 1972, the divorce was finalized. So, like, pretty much a year later. Yeah, didn't last long. Yeah. Well, the... the Divorce. The final. Yeah, yeah the, the finalization. finalization. Yeah. She dated future California California governor Jerry Brown. Um, and the end of January 1972, she began the relationship again with Robert Wagner. So she had originally married Robert Wagner. They got divorced. She dated a bunch of people in between. And then again remarried um, mm-hmm. Robert Wagner. And they remarried July 16th of 1972. On the Ramblin' Rose, which was anchored off of the Paradise Cove in Malibu. Mm, that's so... That's a cute name. It Ramblin is. Ramblin' Rose. It is cute. Um, so that was in 1972, and then by 1974, their daughter Courtney was born. All right. So now I'm going to get into a couple claims that have been noted or said before we get into the actual death. Yeah. Of Natalie, and I'm going to say alleged because some of these things sound like they probably were true. Yeah. But I don't want to say they definitely happened. Yeah. So, a 2001 biography about Natalie Wood written by Suzanne Finstad, again, we mentioned Suzanne, Mm -hmm. alleges that she was raped by a powerful actor when she was 16. I hope that's not true. I hope it wasn't either. That's just... That's horrible. But at the same time, I could totally see that happening in the industry. Yeah, me too. Unfortunately. So, it contain this biography contains info from close friends of Natalie, and it includes late actors Scott Marlowe and Dennis Hopper, which obviously Dennis Hopper, we had mentioned before, he had a close relationship with her. Yeah. And this is a quote. Through her five close friends' memories of some details or timing defer after 45 years, the essence of what each recalls Natalie confiding to them is the same. That the same married film star lured or tricked Natalie, raped her so brutally she was physically injured and she was too frightened or intimidated to report it to the police. 
Natalie hated her former screen idol afterward, shuddering if she heard his name. She would keep the horrible secret and behave as if nothing happened whenever their paths inter- intersected, too schooled by mud, which I guess was a nickname for her mom, mm-hmm. in the politics of Hollywood to cross a powerful movie star. And again, that was a quote from Suzanne Finstead's biography. And I feel like that is basically everything that's happened at, in the last couple of years with the Me Too movement, yeah. you know? Yeah, like everything With Harvey Weinstein, like... Put aside for yeah. the power. Yeah. yeah, and too afraid to speak up because you're going to be, like, blacklisted from the industry, you that's know? horrible. Yeah. So in 2018, Lana Wood, which was her sister, spoke on a 12-part podcast about Natalie and said the attack happened inside the Chateau Chateau Marmont during an audition and went on, quote, for hours. Oh my god. Which is just so sickening. And then she had to see this person, like, again and again. And I, like, I wonder who this is when it says that he was a married film star. Right. And they crossed paths and she idolized him until this happened. Like, who was this? I don't know, but I'd like to know. And not only because he raped her, but I'm assuming he, since he was married and stuff, he was probably an older man. It's probably like statutory rape. Yeah. Because she was 16. Yeah. Yeah. So according to Professor Cynthia Lucia, who studied studied the attack. I cannot talk. Me either. I think it's the caffeine. <laughs> yeah. Let's blame it on the caffeine. Hashtag blame it on the caffeine. <laughs> Hashtag blame it on the coffee. Hashtag fuck me. <laughs> okay, so this woman, Cynthia Lucia, studied the attack, and she said that Wood, Wood's rape was brutal and violent. Oh. Which, how did her mom not know Notice when she was so heavily involved. I could see, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but I could see her mom hearing of it or knowing and doing what was said earlier. Don't speak up about it. Yeah. Keep it to yourself. Yeah. So, in 2013, a retired FBI agent, this is another rumor, which, according to him, it happened. Who the fuck knows if it did? Yeah. Retired FBI agent Donald Wilson claimed he and Natalie had a four-year affair from 1973 to 1977 while she was married to Wagner. Like, why would you come out and say that, though? Other than for publicity for yourself, Yeah, like, what's the fucking purpose at this point? She's not here to defend herself, and even if it did happen, why do people need to know? Right, like, why put that out there? Yeah. He went on to talk about this on social media in tabloid articles, and... In an on-camera interview for the cable network Reels. Which, make, which makes me think that it was it bullshit. Happen. And yeah. he just wanted publicity. Yeah. Because why go to the tabloids, too? Like, right. they're... It's known that a lot of tabloids are completely unreliable sources. And they want drama. Yeah. Stupid. So, all of that is going to lead to where we are now, which is when the actual death of Natalie Wood happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to start on November 17th, which was Friday night. Um, and basically, or I'm sorry, not November 17th, November 27th, um, which was Friday night. And this was Thanksgiving weekend. So basically, Natalie had decided that her and um, her husband, Robert, were going to go on this weekend trip. I'll talk a little bit about that later. 
Um, but they basically had a small family gathering on Thanksgiving um, at their house and then decided for the weekend they were going to go on um, Robert's yacht uh, and they were just going to have a, a fun weekend together on the yacht. Mm-hmm. So November 27th, which was Friday night, a fight broke out on the boat and basically there were rumors of Christopher Walken, which he's on the boat as well. He's her co-star and Natalie having an affair. And Robert got extremely jealous from all of this. Mm-hmm. So that's what the fight was about. Things escalated super quickly, and Natalie was terrified of Robert because he was acting so crazy. He was basically, like, saying all these erratic things about them being together, and it was just a huge jealous thing that basically was not realistic at all. Yeah, like, who knows if that was the case or not, but I highly doubt it if he was on the boat with them. Like, that would be very ballsy. Right, and this is an account from the captain. I'll mention his name in a little bit. Um, The captain of the boat, and he basically went on the podcast that we talked about. I'll mention the name later as well, um, and did a huge story on, like, what had happened Mm -hmm. from his account. So... Natalie said she wanted off the boat immediately because her husband was acting really weird and she was just, she felt uncomfortable. So Davern, who is the, um, Dennis Davern, who's the captain of the boat, and Natalie got into a dinghy and they went on shore and they were like, okay, we're getting out of this situation. He said that she was hysterical. He couldn't get her to stop crying. She was just, it was a mess, basically. So, Davern decided that he was going to get two motel rooms for them for the night and just kind of let things blow over. Mm -hmm. And he said that he stayed up with her all night and talked to her and she mentioned things about wanting to leave the island and she wanted to call her sister immediately, which I think is important and you'll know why later. She also mentioned that she wanted to leave Robert and Mm. get another divorce from him, Mm. which this is coming again, from the captain of the boat. And this is his account. And she's not here to defend herself. So this is just what he said. Mm -hmm. Um, So Dennis Davern then took the role of her bodyguard for the night because he's like, if something happens to her while she's in this motel, it's my fault. And they had a really good relationship. They were really close. The next morning, Natalie asked for a plane ticket to pick, or for a plane to come and pick them up from wherever that motel was. But it just wasn't possible. Um, Dennis Davern suggested then to just return to the boat and to try to make amends. Uh, so she was like, you know what, we'll try to make this weekend work. We'll do it. Mm -hmm. So they all went back, or they both went back to the boat. They made breakfast and everyone, weirdly enough, acted like nothing had happened the night before. They're like, let's just let this blow over and enjoy our weekend. They were like, we know it's weird. We know something bad happened last night, but like, we just have to make the best of it now. We're Mm -hmm. here. So... That was just the night preluding um, the death of Natalie, but I felt like it was super important to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, November of 1981, again, this was Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, yeah, we didn't mention before, this is 1981. Right, 1981. <laughs> um, like I said, they went on a weekend boat trip to California's Santa Catalina Island, um, and they were on Robert's yacht called the Splendor. Um, it's a fucking Catalina wine mixer. It's the Catalina wine mixer. Boats and hoes. Literally, that's <laughs> probably what she was singing. <laughs> Definitely not. 
Um, and like I said, she went with her husband, uh, and then Christopher Walken, who was her co-star in that movie that we were talking about, that was $15 million, um, budget, and it was The Brainstorm, that was the movie. Mm-hmm. And they also went with the Splendor's captain, captain, who was Dennis Davern, who had mentioned earlier as well. Davern said that as soon as they got on the boat, Robert was immediately trying to show off his boat to Christopher Walken to kind of make it known that, like, he was the owner of the boat, he was the man of the boat, like, he even said that he went up to him and was like, this is, like, the meter that shows us the depth of the ocean, of the water that we're in, like, Mm -hmm. and Christopher was, like, really unimpressed by it, he's like, okay, like, all boats have this, whatever. Yeah, I can't see Christopher Walken giving a fuck about that. (laughs) Right, and it it was, Christopher Walken. Yeah, and it was really, I don't know, really awkward, basically, is what Dennis said. Mm Hmm. Her sister and Dennis question why she, they wanted to go to this upcoming weekend trip because apparently at the time it was freezing cold and that, especially that weekend, the weather was not supposed to be good. Like he, the captain tried calling Natalie multiple times and asking her like, can we please cancel this trip? Like it's not good. And she's like, no, I insist on us going. Yeah, that's odd. Like it is November. Right. You know? Why would you want to go on a boat trip? Yeah, and I would expect the water to not only be cold, but choppier, maybe. And the temperature. I mean, I'm acting like I'm a sea captain, captain, but (laughs) just saying, you know? Yeah, I don't know. So, she basically was like, no, we're going. We're going. Maybe this was kind of her, this is just me talking from thought, Mm -hmm. from thinking. Maybe this was kind of her, like, last attempt to mend things and have a good weekend with Robert before she was gonna throw in the towel and be like I'm fucking done yeah maybe and then shit broke loose and she's like listen Dennis I have to tell you what is actually going on and maybe she thought bringing Christopher walking along would actually kind of ease the mood and get like maybe she was trying to make him comfortable with her working with this man on set you know right and I read somewhere that they invited a few other people but Christopher was the only one that said that he could go yeah yeah because it is Thanksgiving weekend yeah so he he was the one that ended up going which I'm sure kind of fueled Robert's jealousy and thoughts about the situation right and I read somewhere too that he actually while they were on set there was a rumor going around that maybe Christopher and Natalie had something going on and Robert obviously did not like that at all and he went up he drove up there to the set and basically was like watching them and was super weird about it but maybe that's why she decided to do this like to let show me him. let yeah. you guys get to know each other see that you have nothing to worry about right. you know and I then, mean I feel like that would be a good solution to the problem right all right so then we're on to November 28th 1981 Natalie and Chris Walken decide to go to happy hour while Davern and Robert stay behind on the boat and fish. Yeah. And apparently Natalie and Christopher Walken were pretty drunk and laughing about movie scenes they had done together, which, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Normal. Yeah, completely normal. And Dennis Davern actually described it as harmless, like they were just drunk and talking. talking. Yeah. Yeah. But this obviously pissed off Robert. Mm Mm-hmm. And he said they were all to leave immediately. So he was like, this trip is fucking done. We're leaving. And Natalie, Dennis Davern, Robert Wagner, and Christopher Walken went to dinner at Doug's Harbor Reef Restaurant on Catalina Island that night. They drank two bottles of wine, champagne, and cocktails. So I guess 
somehow they, after Robert said they were going to leave, maybe Natalie talked to him yeah. and they kind of resolved it a little bit. And yeah. they decided to go to dinner. And at one point, Natalie or Walken threw a glass at the wall and this was said by an employee at the restaurant. Like, I think trying to say how drunk they were, maybe? But who knows if that really happened. Or, I mean, at this point, they were with Robert, so maybe he said something that pissed one of them off. Like, at the it. table, we're like, are you guys having an affair? You know yeah. what I mean? Or he was pissed that they were laughing or something, and one of them threw it angrily. I don't, maybe. I don't know. Just a thought. So, the restaurant manager saw that the group was getting really drunk and was worried they wouldn't be able to reach their yacht safely because they were kind of staggering out with how drunk they were. Mm-hmm. And manager Don Whiting asked Kurt Craid, which was Harbor Patrol, to make sure that the group made it back to the boat safely in their dinghy after they left the restaurant. So, at 10 p.m., the intoxicated group returned to the yacht using the inflatable dinghy Valiant. That was its name. Yeah. <laughs> And Robert Wagner, which again was Natalie's husband, told investigators that Natalie went to the couple's cabin around 10.45 p.m. that night on the yacht. So they must have, they left at 10, who knows how long it took to get back, probably not long, probably like 10 minutes tops. Yeah. They probably hung out a little and she went back to the cabin around 10.45. Mm -hmm. So the next part of the story changed multiple times. Yeah, different stories. Yeah. Walken told investigators that he and Wagner got into a, quote, small beef about a parent being away from young children while filming like Natalie was doing. Apparently, they apologized and things were fine. So that was, like, whatever. That's, That's like, one story. Yeah. Yeah. In a more recent version of the story, Dennis Davern says they kept drinking wine and then a very heated argument exploded and Wagner broke a bottle of wine on the table and shouted at Walken, quote, are you trying to fuck my wife? So he just said it. He came out and said it. Yeah. So, I don't, I mean, it's, no one's ever going to know what actually happened. And except for them. Yeah. And just from things that have been said and done, like, even the day before all of this, mm-hmm. I feel like, not to point the, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone, but I'm saying I feel like that situation could have happened. Oh, yeah. Because he clearly had jealousy issues and trust issues. And they were all drunk. Yeah. Which would... Intensify. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, all the feelings. So, Davern said Walken then left to go to his room, and that was the last time he saw him. Mm -hmm. And then Wood went to her cabin with Wagner following her, so I'm assuming she came back out with, like, the chaos and went back in. Mm Mm-hmm. And Davern then reported hearing a loud fight, but he obviously couldn't see them. Yeah. And he said the argument continued on the deck of the boat before, quote, everything went silent. That gave me the fucking chills. Yeah. Yeah. So Davern was, like, keeping an eye on things because he, like, he obviously knew Natalie and Robert. He Mm -hmm. knew their family. So he's keeping an eye on things. And he knew everyone was fucking wasted. Right. So he, Dennis actually went to check on them after some time and he found Robert on the deck alone saying, quote, Natalie is missing. Which, why would you be alone saying that to yourself instead of getting help? Like running around frantically. Yeah. Um, And he asked Dennis to start looking for her, which seems so nonchalant to me, but maybe it was just the way that was written. Right. And maybe, I mean, everyone responds to trauma differently. Maybe he was in like a zombie state almost, you know? 
So then after a little bit of looking around, Dennis returned and said that the dinghy was missing as well. He later states that Natalie was quote-unquote deathly afraid of water, and he doubts that she would have ever taken this small boat out, especially in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and especially in freezing water. Mm -hmm. Natalie went missing at 11.05 p.m. that evening. That's a short time span. Right? Between her going to bed to being missing? Yeah. Yeah. 10.45 to 11.05. That's very short. I mean... Yeah. And that was an accurate account. I'll tell you a little bit later why. But 11.05 is an accurate time. Mm -hmm. Um, Wagner said that he didn't want to attract bad publicity and refused to turn on the boat's floodlights and delayed calling for help. Which is bullshit. I'm sorry. I mean... Bad you publicity. You should put your wife potentially drowning in the ocean over bad publicity. Right. They said that they, quote-unquote, immediately radioed for help um, through multiple interviews that went on later, which I don't think it was immediate. Um, it was later discovered that Wagner did not make the first call to the shore um, until 1.30 a.m., and that was reported by Dennis Davern as well. It's a long time to wait when you're in the ocean. 1.30 a.m. And the call to shore, I later found out, was to the restaurant owner that we had mentioned earlier. It wasn't even like to, to police Coast or Guard. Coast Guard. They were like, he was like, help call the that person that walked us out to the boat, basically. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the official report was at 3.30 a.m. Uh, the Coast Guard was finally called, and this was a four hours um a four-hour wait before that call was even made. So, like, what was happening in that four hours? You know? And, I mean, not only if someone's missing on a boat, because where is there for them to go? You know, you're going to check everywhere. Right. If there is the potential that they fell into the water... Aren't you going to look at How are you going to wait four hours? That makes no sense. They could be miles away by then. And I think that's what he wanted. (sighs) Or somebody wanted. Yeah. Harbor Patrol, private searchers, and the Coast Guard checked the water and island coastline. So eventually they had, like, divers and everything come in and look for her. Mm -hmm. So a key witness at the time, Marilyn Wayne, was docked about 80 feet away. And this is what I was talking about earlier about the accurate time. She actually was in an interview and said that right around this time she bought her son an electric or a, a watch So they were able to keep the time between everything, and it was a very accurate keep. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. So um, around 11 p.m., she heard a woman calling for help saying, quote, somebody please help me, I'm drowning, Mm -hmm. which would scare the shit out of anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, She said the cries went on until about 11.30 p.m. Marilyn's boyfriend tried to call the harbor master multiple times, but nobody answered. There was also a party on another boat, so they thought, oh, like, maybe I'm hearing things. Maybe this is just, like, a joke that somebody's playing on us. Mm-hmm. Days later, Marilyn states that she attempted to contact the police with her statement, but nobody returned her calls. Which, why not? I don't know. Like, wouldn't you want to hear from a key witness at that yeah, time? Yeah, especially about a one of the most famous actresses at that time. And she heard her, potentially? Yeah. She then states in an interview that days after she returned home, she received a letter saying that if she valued her health and safety, she would keep her mouth shut, which... That's fucking terrifying. I know. 
And I don't know how true that is. I don't know. I'm not saying it's fact or false, but that's fucking terrifying. She stated that that happened, so. I mean, it's sad that when it comes to people in the spotlight, you have to take things with a grain of salt because who knows if this person's just inserting themselves to be part of Natalie Wood's story. Or or if she legit, this is all true and no one's taking her seriously and someone literally sent her a threatening letter to keep her mouth shut. Yeah. I know. That's terrifying. So then we're on to November 29th, 1981, which is the day after. Sheriff's Department helicopter eventually spotted Natalie's body floating in the water. She was wearing a flannel nightgown, socks, and a down jacket, which clearly she didn't decide to go for a nightly swim. Yeah, like she wasn't In a down jacket and a nightgown. (laughs) Yeah. She was found approximately one mile away from the boat, and the small Valiant brand dinghy was beached nearby. But in another article, it stated that the dinghy was actually found about a mile away from the the yacht and a mile away from where Natalie was found. Mm. So, deferring accounts on where the dinghy was. Yeah. But she was definitely about a, a mile away from the boat. Right, and that's what they were searching for because they were like, the dinghy's gone, she must be in it. Yeah. So, her fingers were still able to be moved at this time because her rings were removed from her fingers, which means rigor mortis did not fully set in yet. And it takes about four hours for this to happen, but cold water can delay that time. Just another fact to throw in there. Natalie Wood was pronounced dead at 7.44 a.m. on November 29th at 43 years old, which is just so young. She's so young. Yeah. That's horrible. And Wagner was asked to identify Natalie's body as a formality, but he said that he couldn't and that Davern would have to do that. So he literally had his captain identify her body which like it could tell you a couple things and people take grief like different ways and that's yeah it is what it is but like I don't know immediately to me when I heard that I was like he couldn't look at her because something bad had happened and he was involved I mean like you just said it's awful if really that's how he was dealing with things and And he's like no I can't even look at her you know but at the same time that's potentially the last time you're going to see your wife. Right. I don't... I don't know. Yeah. And a lot of accounts that I heard, too, and I think this was actually from Dennis Davern, said that she looked exactly, like, it... The cold water must have delayed everything, and she looked she like, like she had blow. just fallen yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so sad. So, Robert Wagner was never charged with any crime in connection to Natalie, which meant that if he decided to give more statements to the police, it would all be voluntary statements. So, he would look like a good guy for giving statements yeah. after that, basically. And not saying he isn't a good guy. Right. Not saying that at all. we lean a certain way. Right. With this case. <laughs> um, another theory, because we're, I mean, obviously one theory is that Robert pushed her overboard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another theory was that she fell in the water after attempting to secure the dinghy to prevent it from banging into the boat, but many statements say that she would have never done this on her own and she would have made Robert do it if it was really bothering her because as her, the captain said, she was terrified of water. Like, why would she risk pulling a boat in on her own and when she was intoxicated like that doesn't right, make sense. Right, when there was sense. three other guys on the boat. Not saying that guys have to do it but she's terrified of water and there's three other human beings there yeah, that yeah. could have done it. And obviously mm-hmm. um another theory could be obvious like that she just 
slipped and fell off the boat. Right. It was raining. It was... And I heard that there was a certain ramp on the boat that got extremely slippery. Mm-hmm. And if she would have slipped and fell, it could have been from that, too. Yeah. So there's a bunch of theories out there, but... Yeah. So November 30th, 1981, Dr. Joseph Choi, Deputy Medical Examiner of the L.A. Medical Examiner's Office, performed an autopsy on Natalie. Um, her death is declared an accidental drowning and hypothermia. Her daughters, Natasha and... Courtney were both 11 and 7 years old at the time, respectively. They so were so sad. little. So, so little. And that's how little they had to lose their mom. That's just awful. Yeah. The LA coroner, Thomas Noguchi, said that in his report, there were, quote, numerous bruises to her arms and legs that were superficial and probably sustained at the time of drowning. Um, and another quote from his says, no other trauma noted and foul play is not suspected at this point in time. So, basically, they were like, oh, when she potentially fell over the railing or whatever. Hit things. Hit things. Or yeah. in the water, hit things. Rocks. Hit against, against the boat. Things, right? Yeah. Um, there was also an abrasion on her left cheek when they found her. Mm. Wood's blood alcohol content was 0.14%, and there were traces of a motion sickness pill and a painkiller in her bloodstream, which both of these can actually increase the effects of alcohol. Which, I don't know if that's to any note, but it's just there for you. Yeah, we're not saying, oh, uh... She was drunk. She was drunk and, yeah, and or drugged, and this is why she fell off the boat. No, We're not blaming it on that at all. Fact. Yeah. It was in her system. Yeah. Many people say that this autopsy was missing vital information, and mm-hmm. that is elementary of an autopsy. Like, for example, they didn't even look under her fig- fingernails when they found her. For any DNA evidence. And why? For a, a high-profile person, that's just sketchy as fuck. You know. That's so... Like... Like, that's... and That's like a it, typical thing to do. Right. Like, it's... Like, it's mentioned. It's elementary. Like, you do that in an autopsy. Yeah. And especially in a situation where it's odd circumstances, yeah. you know? Wouldn't you check that to make right. sure there wasn't foul play Especially involved? with the abrasion on her cheek. I yeah. don't know. So, December 3rd, 1981... Her funeral was held this day, and she was buried in Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery in Los Angeles. Before returning home, Robert Wagner met with his therapist to discuss how he could tell Natasha and Courtney about his mother's death. Mm. So he was trying to make it easier for them, Mm -hmm. whatever way he could. Her husband, Robert, was said to be seen as devastated and crying at the funeral. Mm. There were friends and family in attendance, of course, but also big names in the entertainment world, such as Lawrence Oliver... Frank Sinatra, Frank, Elizabeth Taylor, Fred Astaire, David Niven, Gene Kelly, Gregory Peck, Aliyah Kazan, and Rock Hudson. <laughs> Director Sidney Pollack said that Wood, quote, was a sensational actress, often under- underrated because she was a, quote, movie star, and that she was and as pretty as she was. She had a combination of vulnerability and a kind of aura. Aw, which is so true. I feel yeah. like... She is just so classic Hollywood. Yeah. Like, looking at her, you... She's just that classic Hollywood star. Like, mm-hmm. her... Everything about her is just... She's so naturally beautiful, and she, like, shines through the screen in her movies, I think. I know. She was beautiful. Yeah. So, September 1st, 1997, Walken broke his silence on the night of Natalie's death, telling of his theory as to how she died. So he actually did an interview with the Hollywood 
Hollywood Reporter, and he said, quote, Anybody there saw the logistics of the boat the night where we were that it was raining, and you would know exactly what happened. You hear about things happening to people. They slip in the bathtub, fall down the stairs, step off the curb in London because they think that they think that the cars come the other way, and they die. You feel you want to make, or I'm sorry, you feel you want to die making an effort at something. You don't want to die in some unnecessary way. What happened that night only she knows because she was alone. She had gone to bed before us and her room was at the back. A dinghy was bouncing against the side of the boat and I think she went out to move it. There was a ski ramp that was partially in the water. It was slippery. I had walked on it myself. She had told me she couldn't swim. In fact, they had to cut a swimming scene from Brainstorm. She was probably half asleep and she was wearing a coat. Which is definitely a theory. And I wish I could have read that in a Christopher Walken accent, but I'm not very good. (laughs) Which was definitely, you know, that's definitely something that could have happened. Yeah, I mean... He was there. I I feel like part of you, when you hear a story like this, where it's odd circumstances and you don't have an answer as to what happened, your brain sometimes wants to lean towards the extravagant thing. Right. When really it could be something as simple as that. Right. But who really knows? <laughs> no one knows but her. Yeah. So then we're on to October 6th, 2009, and in his 2009 memoir, Pieces of My Heart, Wagner wrote of an argument he had had with both Wood and Walken during the 1981 boat trip over his jealousy. So he did admit to that. Right. He also detailed how he noticed the boat's dinghy was missing later that evening when he went to search for Wood along with Davern. Yeah. So. He did mention the details. Yeah. So, now we're on to 2011, which is getting more recent. Mm -hmm. Um, November 17th, L.A. County Sheriff's Department reopened the investigation of Natalie's death, which is pretty insane. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Quote, the L.A. coroner remarkably officially changed her cause of death 30 years later, which means that Wood's suspicious and gruesome death was never investigated and she was wrongly and publicly blamed and shamed as a drunken cause of her own death. Um, and that was a quote from Suzanne Finstead, which we had mentioned earlier. Which is actually really sad yeah. that people blamed and shamed her for that when... For being drunk. Yeah. When, meanwhile, shit happens if that was the case, Right, you like, know? she didn't want to die. Yeah, and that's not how she, be, she should be known as when she and was remembered. this incredible movie star. Right. Yeah. That's insane. So, November 18th, the next day, Davern said that he lied about Wood's death when he was questioned by police initially. He also said that Robert Wagner was actually responsible for her death, according to NBC Today article. Today article. <laughs> I know. We're just going to leave it at that. That's as, that's what he said. And we kind of lean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, this day, Walken also hired attorney Matthew Rosengart to represent him in the reopened investigation. Mm. So take that as you will. Mm -hmm. A spokesperson also came forward for Wagner saying that they supported the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department's efforts in re-examining Natalie's death. Okay. Which can be taken as like, okay, he supports this, you know? Or as, I support your efforts. Efforts. (laughs) Emphasis on the effort. Yeah. Lana Wood, who again is Natalie's sister, said Natalie's death was a murder and called for Robert to, quote, 
tell the truth once and for all. Mm, so Lana's just going in. Yeah. She also expressed that Natalie could not swim and that she had been terrified of the water her whole life and that she would never have left the yacht on her own by a dinghy. So basically exactly what Dennis is saying as well. Yeah. She said that she's been saying for years that Robert was involved, and after the funeral, Natalie's side of the family actually cut ties with Robert. Which, playing devil's advocate, that actually is very sad if he wasn't involved. Right. And I read that after the funeral, they all went back to a house, I don't know whose house it was, and Robert went upstairs, and Lana was like, where is he? And she went up to talk to him. And she basically said, and this was in her, an interview from her, mm-hmm. she basically said, like, what happened? Because mm-hmm. they were just them two in a room. And he said, basically, I swear it was an accident. And somebody came upstairs and grabbed her arm and said, leave him alone and kind of took her back downstairs. But even if something did happen with him involved, it could have been an accident. Right. In which case, he's not lying. That's why it's eerie as hell that that's all he said before yeah. she could, before she was taken away. Yeah. Like, it... Could it, I mean, if he did that and he's been holding on to that all these years, like, if he was involved, that's absolutely awful, but it could have literally been something that happened that wasn't an intentional murder and he was afraid or didn't want to go, you know, I mean, and that's not an excuse at all. Like, if that was the case, he should be taking responsibility for the death of someone and someone who was his wife. I know. Investigators then subsequently made 10 attempts to interview Robert Wagner by tracking him down in Colorado, but he and his lawyer both refused Mm -hmm. all of the attempts for interviews, Hmm. which could literally just be him not wanting to talk about it anymore. Yeah. Or not be in the spotlight for that, you know? So, two years later, 2013, on January 14th, the cause of death was changed from accidental drowning to... Drowning and other undetermined factors, Hmm. which is a little bit more open. Yeah. This actually came from investigators um, that determined that some of the bruises on Natalie's body during the initial autopsy may have been sustained before she drowned. Which, how the fuck could you come up with that? Did you not? Or, I mean, could you, yeah, that, but also, how do you not figure that out in the initial autopsy? think the initial person that did the autopsy may have been swayed a certain way. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I mean, that would be the only reasoning to not mention that, but... Right. Like, that's something that, like, looking under the fingernails, same type of thing. Right. What the hell happened? (sighs) Something went wrong in her autopsy, and it's horrible. Mm. The LA County coroner also said that the bruises are, quote, non-mechanical and probably caused by another person. Meaning, she didn't bang up against the boat to get a bruise a certain way. Mm-hmm. Coroner's office offered a 10-page addendum to Wood's autopsy report. Quote, the addendum stated that Wood might have sustained some of the bruises on her body before she went into the water, and that she could definitely, uh, but this could definitely not be determined. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a Wikipedia quote again. I just, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. I know. Wagner released a statement through his attorney, Blair Burke, as reported by E! News, and this was the quote. Quote, Mr. Wagner has fully cooperated over the last 30 years in this investigation of the accidental drowning of his wife in 1981. Mr. Wagner has been interviewed on multiple occasions by 
the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department and answered every single question asked of him by detectives during those interviews, which is true. Mm-hmm. January 18th, 2013, Wagner refused to speak with detectives even though he wasn't a suspect at this point in time. Okay, which, I mean, if you've done... 30 years 30 worth years of, worth of interviews. Right. I could see once in a while being like, no, no. no. This is getting too much for yeah, me yeah. to keep reliving that night. So in 2015, April 8th, 2015 to be exact, allegedly there was a letter obtained by Radar RadarOnline.com where Lana Wood wrote to walk in, quote, I'm pleading with you to be the brave, forthright person Natalie found you to be and tell what really happened. Mm. Which, since this is alleged, yeah. I'll take it with a grain of salt because I think radar can sometimes be one of those tabloid things where... Who could have mm-hmm. written it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, 2017, March 28th, a case file compiled with assistance from the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute, CCIRI, provided new clues into Wood's death. And the CCIRI's main finding alleged that, quote, the actress could have been choked until she went unconscious and subs- subsequently rolled off the boat. So they're saying that is a Which possibility. Like, I don't know. Wouldn't that show, I don't know how autopsies work, but wouldn't that have showed different in an autopsy? If she was, if she died of asphyxiation before drowning? I don't know. There possibly wouldn't have been water in her lungs. I don't know. Because if she was choked, she wouldn't have been in taking that water. Unless she was choked unconscious, wasn't actually dead yet, rolled off, and then, yeah. Yeah, which is possible. So, 2018, there was a press conference held in February due to new witnesses and relevant with relevant information on the last hours on the boat and when help was requested, according to Captain Christopher Bergner of the Homicide Department. One article said that the new witnesses were people in boats docked near the yacht Natalie and her husband were on and that they heard a couple loudly arguing and a woman calling for help. So kind of the same thing that that woman was saying. Yeah. Which... Is interesting that the same story would be reiterated to almost a T. For multiple people. Yeah. And at this press conference, Robert Wagner, who was 88 years old at the time, was named as a person of interest in her death for the first time. A lot of years later. Wow. Yeah. Quote, Wagner is a person of interest because he was the last one with Natalie Wood, and somehow she ends up in the water and drowns. And that was a quote from John Carina, which is a lieutenant in the L.A. Sheriff Department Homicide Bureau. Carina also added that the witness they gathered saw the group that included Natalie and her husband that weekend, and the last hours on the yacht were ugly, including drunkenness, rage, and accused infidelity, which we kind of also heard from Dennis. Yeah. Dennis Davern, again, the ship captain, said, quote, the argument started the day before, as Kelsey had mentioned, Mm -hmm. and the tension was going through the whole weekend. Robert Wagner was jealous of Christopher Walken, which, I mean, Robert did admit to that. Right. You know? And I heard, too, that, like, it wasn't just his jealousy towards um, Christopher. It was his jealousy towards his wife. She was so much more... 
famous, uh, famous yeah. and recognized and made a lot more money than him. And in the 50s, 60s, not, 70s, 80s, that's not... That's not what happened. The way it went. Yeah. Right. And he didn't like that. Yeah. So, Davern also said Wood and Walken spent hours at a bar on Catalina Island laughing and seemingly flirting. When Robert showed up, he was fuming, as we had kind of mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And in 2018, the Los Angeles Times cited the coroner's report from 2013, saying that Wood had unexplained fresh bruising on her right forearm, left wrist, and right knee, a scratch on her neck, and a superficial scrape on her forehead. So they were like, was she assaulted before she drowned? Like, how is all of this just coming out, you know? Yeah. It's just so strange to me. Yeah. And... I wonder if, like, something that I would like to know is if there was past history of him abusing her before all of this. Right. I know. And, like, it just wasn't talked about because that wasn't talked about back then. then. Right. Yeah. So, moving on to the present day, Robert Wagner is now 90 years old, and it has been 39 years since Natalie Wood has died. Um, It'll be 40 this upcoming November. And Natalie Wood, uh, what remains... I'm sorry, this is a title, so it's called Natalie Wood, What Remains Behind. In 2020, her daughter Natasha Gregson Wagner confronts uh, Robert Wagner on camera about speculation that he had something to do with Natalie's death. So she's Mm -hmm. like, you know what, we're just going to put all of this out here. Because she was on his side. Mm -hmm. She loved him. um, She believed him. And she wanted to get everything put out so he would stop being bothered, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. He denied accusations, and Natasha offered her support, saying that she does not believe he was involved in her mother's death in any way. Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting, because you don't really hear anything about their their biological daughter, Courtney. I know. Like, I wonder what her thoughts or feelings are on I it. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's kind of sad if he's lived all these years trying to mourn his wife while being accused if he really didn't do anything. I know. You know? I know. But at the same time, if he did do something, the man is 90 years old. I hope he would say something on his deathbed if he did. Right. You know? I hope so. You'd hope. Because she deserves that justice for everyone to actually know what happened to her. Somebody needs to come forward about it. Yeah. If something malicious did happen and I... There's a question, too, whether uh, Christopher Walken really knows more than he says he does, or if yeah. he really was oblivious. Maybe he was drunk and went to bed and has no fucking clue. No idea. Yeah. Actually, that podcast that we had mentioned, the, the 12-part podcast, is called The Fatal Voyage, The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood. And if you want to listen to it, like I said, it's like 13, 12, 13 episodes, It has so much detail about everything leading up to the day of and after Natalie's death. Listen, this case is a good one. We tried to cover as much as possible in our time frame that we have. Right, in our hour and a half. So, if, I mean, I would listen. I think I'm going to listen to that because... It was good. I listened to three episodes today. Yeah. They're like a half hour each, so it's not too overwhelming, but it's interviews with... Dennis and Lana and a bunch of people that were involved. Yeah. Some of the witnesses. So it's really good. I had listened to other podcasts about her in the past, but they were just like two, three episodes. Nothing like that. 
Yeah, it's a good one. Listen to it if you want more in-depth. Um, but that's the story of Natalie Wood. Yeah. And now we have something a little exciting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to end on a happy note. Right. So, as mentioned, this episode was listener requested by Jen, mm-hmm. my past co-worker slash really good friend. <laughs> and she like we said, is obsessed with Natalie Wood. She's literally read any biography written about her. Mm -hmm. And she really wanted to be part of this episode somehow because she just loves her so much. (laughs) So she's going to come on now and talk about some interesting slash weird slash eerie or fun facts about Natalie that she's just read in her readings of Natalie and everything she's learned about her. She loves her so much. That's so awesome. Yeah. So thanks for coming on, Jen. Here's Jen. (laughs) Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How How are are you? you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks for being on. We're so excited. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. I know. We, I mean, we already mentioned that you were the one who suggested this case to us, and yeah. then we kind of did a little intro before we came on here to tell how much you love Natalie. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a very big fan. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. So do you want to jump so, right into it? Yeah. So um, she had a really, really interesting life. I mean, I'm sure like you guys talked about how, you know, she's a Russian immigrant and everything. Um Her mom went, um, she left Russia and was in China for a period. And she saw, uh, had a reading from a gypsy fortune teller. And this was, this was before she, Natalie was even born. And, um, you know, the the fortune teller told her that she would have a daughter who would be very famous and she would die as a result of dark waters. I have the chills. Crazy. Yeah. Like her mother was very, very superstitious but it also planted the idea in her mother's head. Um, okay, I am going to become, I'm going to make her a star. I mean, she was like the, the ruthless stage mother of, of the times. I mean, mm-hmm. she pushed her to become an actress. She just would manipulate her to work to support the family. Like, oh, well, oh. if you don't get the part, then your little sister won't get new shoes. I mean, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. That's um, horrible. Yeah. Yeah, like, she really, and, like, if you've ever watched any of Natalie's films, mm-hmm. a lot of the roles that she took were very parallel to her life. Like, um, the the biggest comparison would be Gypsy, the, mm-hmm. the movie that she made about Gypsy Rose Lee. Yeah. I mean, Natalie was Gypsy, and Mama Rose was her mother Maria to wow. the T. Yeah. Wow. And, like, uh, just most of her roles were, like, there was a very domineering mother, like, Splendor in the Grass, and... Um, a couple other ones inside Daisy Clever. This property is condemned. So they I all think that's of... so cool that she did roles that like embodied what she was and what her life was. Yeah, that's so yeah. Cool. It was it was really cool. And like a unique thing about her is she was a childhood star who became an adult movie star. Right. And not a lot of children succeed. I mean, her first role was when she was a little girl. Like her big, her first big hit movie was Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, right. we mentioned that. And she, I mean, 
she became a huge thing then and she only had like a brief period where she faded out which well not faded out but had a rough patch right a little break (laughs) in between but that is crazy because I feel like yeah most child stars have their their period of time and then they kind of fizzle out yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and like she was very very successful Mm -hmm. which was cool um she did have two sisters Olga was her older sister and then Lana her younger sister Mm-hmm. and um Lana Lana wanted to become an actress also and she had some minor roles here and there um she posed for Playboy but her most notable role was probably with um it was a James Bond film with Sean Connery Diamonds Are Forever that's oh, well, cool <laughs> yeah, but, that. we didn't talk yeah. much about her her other sister Olga we talked a little bit about Lana but not much the other one yeah Olga kind of faded and stayed behind scenes. Like she really wasn't into that limelight or Mm -hmm. really agreed with what her mother was doing. So that's why you don't really see or hear a lot about Olga. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's another interesting little fact. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You're just packed full of them. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, with that, with her mother's excessive fear of dark water, she, she just embedded that in Natalie and um one of the movies that she was um this she was filming the star with Betty Davis yeah Natalie had to do her own stunt near the water and she was so terrified of this that Betty Davis threatened she would walk off the set if they forced Natalie into that scene wow I I just got the chills myself I mean think about like somebody like Betty Davis at that time like the power that she had yeah and wow. you know she she wasn't playing like she was not going to force this little girl into doing something she didn't want to do mm-hmm. wow. um an interesting fact um and it goes back to mom's like ruthlessness so while they were filming the green promise natalie had to do her own stunt and she had to walk across the bridge but they triggered it to collapse too soon. So she fell and she broke her wrist. Holy oh shit. God. That had to have been terrifying. Yeah. Like her mom never had it medically treated because she didn't want Natalie to appear difficult. She's like, oh, no, no, she can go on. She could still act. Holy she could God. still act. So it never healed properly and her wrist was deformed. So as a result, the rest of her life, she always wore very large bracelets to cover it up. Wow. Like, That's so sad. No matter what she had on, where she was, there was always a big chunky bracelet. Wow. That's yeah. so sad that her mother, I mean, we talked about a couple of things just regarding her mom being like a stage mom, you know, and mm-hmm. just the fact that she went to that extreme of it where she wouldn't let her get medical attention because she didn't want her to appear difficult. That's just, that's too far. Yeah. That's way too far. It's, it's disturbing. Like, yeah, you know, be a mom. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Natalie's signature scent was gardenia. And she filmed Bridgemore Boots with Barbara Stanwyck. She played Barbara Stanwyck's daughter. Mm -hmm. And Barbara Stanwyck at the time um, wore a gardenia perfume. And, like, you know, gardenia was considered sumptuous and floral, like sexy. It was like a very exotic fragrance at that time. Mm -hmm. So she sent Natalie a bottle of the perfume as a gift. But Natalie wasn't old enough to wear it. So um, once she was, she too adopted gardenia as her signature scent. And anytime 
anybody complimented her on the perfume, she would always send them a bottle. Like, oh, oh my god, how Barbara's generosity. Yeah, and Aww. the she wore gardenia jungle which i've actually tried to like find this perfume it's hard to find because it's like a very outdated perfume and like i've heard different things of like what it smells like i mean i love gardenia we're always burning gardenia candles here and Mm -hmm. like it's i've always loved that since i was a kid because that was my grandma's favorite set so we have to find gardenia jungle i was actually gonna say before you even said that jen like i wonder if that scent is still around because i'd be interested to see what it smells like right I I've heard I've read different reviews on it. Um, you know, it's just it's one of those like you have to go digging to find it, and I think it's like a fortune to buy it because it's Aww. so rare. Yeah. Aww. So now her daughters, um, she had two daughters, Natasha with her second husband, and then Courtney with Robert Wagner, who she married twice. Yeah. Um, they recreated a gardenia fragrance called Natalie. That Aww. is so sweet. Like in honor of their mother. And it's yeah. it's a cool website if you check it out. Oh, we will. I'm definitely going to. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. beautiful. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um her daughters had one theory. A lot of people have different theories. Oh, another like really cool fact. So um she, at the time of her death, she was in the middle of filming Brainwaves with Christopher Walken. Mm-hmm. And before I they didn't get to finish it before she died. Yeah. So this was one of the first movies that they used the CGI to complete the, the movie. Oh, wow. We briefly talked um, in our episode about like the, the steps they had to take after she wasn't able to finish it. They had mm-hmm. like body doubles and stuff. But I didn't know they had CGI. I didn't either. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like very, very early on. I mean, now it's like nothing, but then, you know, if you think about like how movies have evolved. Yeah. Yeah. That's and how really different cool. they are. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there, like I said, there's been so many different things and different theories around it. Um, you know, usually you start seeing a lot of stuff right around the anniversary of her death. Um, they did reopen the case in 2015 mm-hmm. and ruled it as, um, I think it was ruled as a homicide or unknown, like, a lot of things just didn't make sense. Um, mm-hmm, right. I mean, she was terrified of the water. So she would not have been out on that deck. Like, you know, right. to and secure that's the what dinghy. we said too. We were like, if she was so scared of the water, why would she have gone to secure the dinghy or whatever they, that theory was? Like, it just doesn't make sense. No, no. And I mean, she was in her pajamas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when they found her, she was wearing a nightgown, flannel socks, and this big, heavy jacket yeah so i um you know i don't i don't really buy into that um what's your theory rj was jealous he a lot of the there was always rumors of you know natalie and relationships during movies and stuff um i i think it was an accident but I think it was a covered up accident. I think Mm -hmm. that her and RJ were out there fighting and either she slipped or something happened that she went overboard Mm -hmm. and he just didn't do anything. Yeah. That's what I feel too. I feel like he, even if he didn't intentionally do something, something happened, whether it was an accident or not. And he 
didn't kind of knows to stop a little it. or yeah. knows a little more about mm-hmm. it, you know. Yeah. And the reason why I really feel that way is in the book that her sister wrote, when RJ called her sister, he was crying. It was an accident. It was an accident. You got to believe me. It was an accident. Mm -hmm. If someone has nothing to hide, they wouldn't be so passionate about making that statement. Like, right. I've heard in in an interview to her um, saying the same thing that he, he approached her and said it was an accident. It was completely an accident. So it's a little strange. And which maybe it was an accident, you know, but I mean, they were drinking a lot that night. Mm Mm-hmm. The th- her and Christopher Walken and RJ. I mean, Christopher Walken stayed silent for years and years and years. I mean, it could be he just really didn't know that he just went to his room because they were fighting. Yeah. Um. You know, RJ was accusing him of trying to have an affair with his wife and right. you know discussing Natalie's career. And she's like, I'm not taking this. Good night. Goodbye. So right. you know, it's very well he didn't hear or know anything. Yeah. But he stayed silent about it. Um. You know, the the Captain Dennis Davern, I got mixed reviews on him. Like, you know, he did a lot of stuff with tabloids and things. So could he be looking for a payout? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could he have more information than he initially gave? Maybe. But I honestly don't believe she went out there just to tie up a dinghy. Right. Yeah, I agree. Right. Yeah, I think the I, fight continued out onto the deck. I wonder if, like as you were just talking I was thinking too I wonder if that gypsy psychic was actually legit with knowing all of this and knowing the dark water or if because of that it put that fear like because of that and Natalie's mom putting that fear into her Mm -hmm. that's what led to her fear and otherwise this wouldn't have even been a thing you know because she didn't know how to swim yeah yeah I don't know. It's possible. I mean, there are some legit people out there and there are some people also like they put an idea in your head and you kind of take that and go with it. And, you know, I think you have the power to change your destiny to a certain extent. But, you know, her mother was just ruthless. Like she was brutal. It really seemed like it. I would have loved to talk to that gypsy. I know. I know. (laughs) I wonder what she looked like. I want to get more information from the gypsy. (laughs) I know. I know. Yeah, somewhere in China, we'll have to go on a mission. But this would have been like, see, Natalie was born. Maybe we can find her granddaughter. The 30s. So, yes. I mean, if she's legit, then she would definitely have a line of um, of ancestors that carry it on. Right? We should find her. Her lineage. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The granddaughter of the gypsy woman. If you're listening to this podcast, please contact us. Exactly. But no, I mean, you know, it's it's sad that she died. She was so young, so beautiful, and just so much ahead of her. And you know, her yeah. daughter Natasha just looks exactly like her. It was wow. so beautiful, yeah. like her mother. And you know, and RJ raised her. She was not RJ's daughter, but um, he raised his daughter from his first marriage and. Natasha from Natalie's other marriage and then the daughter they had together Courtney he raised all three of them wow well props to him for doing that you yeah know? Well, that does does yeah. take a a good person to do that I guess yeah but, yeah wow. wow that's a lot of facts I didn't know that was really cool <laughs> <laughs> I like Thanks, that Jen. thank you I for having me yes well I'm sorry no I said thank you I mean I'm a cesspool of useless knowledge so <laughs> 
I just have a question for you before we uh, wrap up the conversation. I wanted to know, because I never actually asked you this, how did you get so interested and like such a fan of Natalie Wood? Um, well, I love old movies. I love old Hollywood. I love that old glamour. But mm-hmm. when I was in high school, someone, the guidance counselor told me I look like Natalie Wood. I'm like, well, who is this? I need to research her. And like certain pictures, yeah, I could totally see like with the shape of the eyes and the dark hair and all. I could see it. (laughs) I just like, you know, just became fascinated. So when I started reading books and watching movies and you know, one of my favorite, favorite movies was always Splendor in the Grass and um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which she didn't do in film. That was Elizabeth Taylor, but her and RJ did a stage production of it that was filmed for TV. Oh, wow. So, oh, like, cool. you know, she played one of my favorite characters in one of my favorite movies, Maggie the Cat. And, like, I just re- always really loved, like, her movies and her work. And I just thought her, her case and her life was really interesting. That's so cool. I love that well, you got so into it because of your guidance counselor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, people make a random comment and you just kind of go with it. But. Yeah. That's true. But That's for true. a reason, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe mm. you were put here to help solve the case. Jen. Maybe. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. You guys are amazing. Oh, thank you. And you're going you're going to be on another time. People get used to her voice because you have some crazy stories you have to tell as listener stories. <laughs> Absolutely, sure. You know, oh, I can't wait now. Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. Have a great night, guys. You Bye. too. Bye. Okay. Bye. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. It was a long one, but thanks for hanging in there. Yep. And until next Friday. Bye, guys. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook